Well, take your Bibles, please. And we're going to the book of James. Normally, as I said, at uh, Union Grove, we'd have our communion service, and then we'd pop into the message. But based on uh, the particular content today, I thought it was very appropriate to do the message first because it really fits into James's preparation of people to actually be serving God. So the title of the message this morning is Finding Freedom in Submission. If you want to take your Bibles, go to James chapter 4. We'll read verses 7 to 10, and then we'll get into the message. James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. The Bible says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Father, I pray now as we open up the only book that you've ever given to us to read this precious word of God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, uh, you would work in our hearts, that you'd excite us, that you'd motivate us, that you would challenge us uh, as we open the passages this morning. Father, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Jesus Christ, Lord, as the wonderful gospel songs we've just gone through have, have uh, brought out literally parts of the gospel, I pray that it might become real, real and clear to every person here this morning. In addition, Lord, I pray those that, have sa- that are saved, that have trusted Christ as our Savior, that they might be encouraged and motivated and uh, uh, just drawn closer to you as a result of what we're doing this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And Lord, we commit this entire service now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at uh, uh, Union Grove Baptist, what we like to do is I like to say we like to peel God's word one passage at a time. So we do what are called for those that are new to us this morning. Uh, we go through the Bible what's normally expositorily, meaning we go passage by passage through books. On occasion, like next Sunday, I'll do a quick topical message and then we'll get right back into God's Word. Uh, and of course, next week we'll be in God's Word as well, but it'll be, it'll be a little bit more topical. So we're very, very uh, keen on making sure we stay with God's Word and don't make up stuff, but uh, simply go to the the master book, of course, which is the Word of God, the Bible. So this morning, as we talk about freedom in submission, and of course that sounds like a a fancy term, oxymoron, or the opposite of what it says, but uh, how do you find freedom in submission? So a couple of questions uh, for you this morning. How is your relationship with the Lord Jesus? And to some of you, it's like, wow, you know, I I wake up in the morning, first thing I want to do is spend time with the Lord. I go to prayer, I go to my Bible study, spend some uh, what we normally call quiet time with the Lord. And it's good. To some, eh, you know, every now and then I get a little bit of time with the Lord, but it's not real consistent. And to some, it's like, what do you mean? How's my relationship with the Lord? You know, I come to church, I go to work, and that's it. So there may not be what we would call a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. This morning's passage tells us exactly how to increase uh, that relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, I trust because you're here at church this morning that you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, or my strong suspicion is you probably wouldn't be here today. So I want to help you this morning as we open up the Word of God. How do we increase our relationship with the Lord Jesus? 
And here's the operative question for us this morning. What are you and I willing to do to change our life, if you will, to enjoy our relationship with the Lord? What does Jesus Christ mean to you? We just got through, and I, I didn't know what songs were going to be on that medley, but boy, those were good songs. Folks, every single one of us, what are we looking forward to? We come to church to do usually two things. Two, one of two things usually brought you here. One is, you want to spend some time with God's people. You want to fellowship. You want to enjoy them. And you want to, you want to have a, a loving relational experience, if you will, with God's people and, of course, with the Lord. Many of you are here. Why, what, what brings you to church? It's like, well, I want to fellowship with God's people, learn the word and so forth. But many of you are here because you seriously want to know where you're going when, you're, when you die. The majority of folks in this room know the answer to that. But if you're here this morning, as we go through the text this morning, what we're looking at, James is really digging down into our lives. He's basically going to go through, and, if, and if, if you listen to the text, it's like, there's a lot of negativity in this text again. James does a lot of negative stuff when, uh, in, in the scriptures. What he's pointing out today, though, is the difference between people that, if you will, have submitted and have peace with God and those who haven't. We'll show you how that works as we go through the text this morning. So, how's your relationship with the Lord Jesus? And that's, quite frankly, why we're doing the message first. Because by the time this message is over, if you've been unsure about your relationship with the Lord Jesus, I think you should have a pretty good idea where you stand with the Lord. And if you need to make any changes, corrections, man, this morning's the time to do it before we have communion and take time with the Lord himself. So let's go to the, the passage uh, again. James chapter 4, verse 7, the first part says, Therefore, submit to God. Let's, let's just hold off on that first phrase. Submit to God. Now, again, the nice thing about the Bible, and again, if you're not familiar with it, the, Old, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, okay, Koine Greek. And sometimes the words in English, if you go back to the Greek language, you can find things that really help you understand what it's talking about. So when he's talking about submit, what does the Lord mean? By the way, Every single word in this book is inspired by God, right? I mean, God gave it to us, and in the original languages, every single word inspired by God, every jot, every tittle, every period, every whatever, is from God. And the words have meaning. So when he's saying, therefore, submit to God, what is he meaning? Well, the word submit is actually, and of course, uh, back in the day, uh, certainly they understood military terms the same as we do today. But it really is a military term. And it means to rank under. All right, now many of you know, and, and those of you that were, uh, have been in the military, first, thank you for your service. Uh, I was, uh, as many of you know, I also was uh, in law enforcement for 30 plus years. And what does it mean to rank under? Well, it basically means this. When I was the sheriff of Milwaukee County, there were many different ranks that, if you will, fell under. So you had inspectors, deputy inspectors, captains, lieutenants, sergeants, uh, deputies, and so forth. Same thing in the military. It's called ranking under, if you will, or submitting. What, when we think from a military standpoint, what does it mean to submit? Well, how many of you have been to boot camp? and are willing to raise your hands. 
several of you in the room. Right? When you go to boot camp, uh, and of course many of us have seen, uh, have seen pictures or movies or heard about it. What happens in boot camp? Uh, come on in guys, uh, have a good meal, let's sit around and chat, and life is... No. Hey! Uh, you! Get up! It's three in the morning. Get up! Right? I mean, it's bam, bam, bam. You rank under. You do what the commanding officer says. Oh, yeah, I, I see uh, Lamont back there. He knows what it's about. Uh, <laughs> and and they, they, you rank under. In other words, you're, you're, you submit to the rank above you. And God is saying, just like in the military, just like in any other place where there are, if you will, various ranks, you need to submit to God. Now, all of us here, it sounds so blasé. Yeah, of course, you know, I know who God is. I, I understand who God is. And sure, of course, I understand he's the creator of everything. And, you know, I, that's why I try to live for God and do what I should. And it's just kind of, it can flatline. Has no real kick. And God's saying, listen, if you want to be close to me, it's got to have some kick. You've really got to take yourself and say, dear God, please help me to do what, what's in this blessed book this week. Please help me to live for you. Please, all the temptations and the things that come against me every single week. The battle is on. And God says, listen, you rank under. You get under me. You submit to me. I'll give you the victory. Ah, that's my favorite English word in the world. Victory. This is the victory, what, that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Faith. Thank you. That's the victory. I love victory. Nobody goes into battle expecting to be defeated. Well, maybe sometimes the, the, the odds were bad, but folks, the odds are bad. We're going to get into something in just a few moments. The odds are getting worse and worse. That's why we're talking about prophecy next week, some of the things going on around the world right now. It's tough. And God says, listen, no matter how tough it is, you submit to me, I'll get you through it. May not be the way we want to get through it, but I'll get you through it. Submit to me, just like you would in a military rank. Uh, what does it mean to submit? Luke chapter 2, verse 51, same word. Then he, or Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject or submitted to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Remember when Jesus was a little boy, and uh, uh, the, there's very little about his, his life as a child, but uh, he, he goes down, if you will, uh, to, the, to the temple, and he's there, and he's teaching. He's gone other places where he's doing things, and it says that he went down with them. He comes to Nazareth, and he submitted, if you will, uh, uh, to the parents. He submitted to uh, their will, and he did the right things. And that's the same concept. It's like as a child would submit to mom or dad, God is saying that's exactly the way you need to submit to me. Just like a child. I don't know if I've ever done it here. And by the way, for those that are new, I've been here at Union Grove since uh, uh, about January. I, was, I became pastor in April. But here's one of the things I love to do. And I like to remind myself that I'm just a little cog in this big giant world. I'm just a little guy. You say, well, you look pretty big to me. My body may be big, but I'm just a little guy. Here's how I want to walk through life. Father, would you please take my hand and would you please walk me through today? Just like a little child. Yeah, I may be 6'4 and none of your business how much I weigh. <laughs> but Lord, would you please, would you take my little hand 
your hand is awful big, God. Would you please walk me through today? When I'm messing up, would you please squeeze it hard, tell me to knock it off? When I'm doing right, would you please show me some kind of encouragement from your word? And Lord, just please guide me. Listen, folks, and, uh, and I mean that's as, that's as sincere as the day is long. Lord, I've got to have your help. I can't do it on my own. Submit to God, just like a little child would to his parents. Therefore, submit to God. What does he say next? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. The word there, the word resist, is the same concept in military as to stand opposed. I am not moving. I'm standing my ground. You will not get through my line. Folks, <laughs> you've watched on the newscasts over the last months as protesters and violence, and you've seen it in the past, of course, as well. What happens when a line gets, they call it a skirmish line. So the line gets put up, they've got the barricades up, they've got their shields up, they may have weapons on them, and their purpose is to hold the line. You do not get through the line for whatever reason, whether it's to destroy property, people, cause mayhem, they're there to stand the line. You do not get through. Give you a little quick insight on how that works. So you set up your skirmish line to protect whatever you're protecting. Behind the skirmish line are the individuals that are going to, if you will, take into custody those that decide they're gonna try and get through the skirmish line. So if somebody's attacking from the front, they'll come up. What the guys in the front line will do, they'll take the person, they'll push them down onto the ground, the people in the back arrest them and take them away because they're standing their ground. You will not get through whatever it is that they're trying to protect. That's the concept. And God's saying it's the exact same way here with opposing, if you will, evil. Opposing and, and okay, so here we go. Ah, we always talk about how do we fight the devil? How do we fight the demonic army? And it becomes one of those flat line issues again. Yep, yeah, we're fighting the devil. Yeah, we're, fight, we're fighting evil. And it's just like, okay, yeah, we do it every day. Uh-huh, all good. And we flat line. Folks, if there's ever a time in the United States of America when we should be getting a clue that things are got some issues right now for Christians. Today's the day. It's not the worst days that we've ever lived in. It's not, but there, there's some really, really tough things coming out there, and we'll talk about that next week. And God's saying, listen, and we've gone through this multiple times in the past couple of months, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us to put on the whole armor of God. Again, when the military folks come out and they, they stand in position and they're holding their ground to fight and to uh, protect whatever it is is behind here. They're not going to move. They're not going to give up. They're going to do whatever it takes to fight the opposition. And God's saying just like that, take it out of the military now and put it into your spiritual life. God is saying whatever it's going to take for you to overcome the evil things that the devil and his demonic army, which are as real as the day is long, we don't see them, we don't hear them, but they're everywhere. One third of all the angelic world, according to Revelation, rebelled against God, 
You can't see them, you can't hear them, but they dead sure cause a whole lot of grief and a whole lot of infiltration in our world today. And God says, resist the devil. Put on the full armor of God. It starts with salvation. You've got to know Christ. You've got to have trusted him. And there's no way you can win this battle. You can't. And he goes through, and we're not going to go through the armor this morning, but go to Ephesians 6. It's like, man, every single day I need to put this armor on. What happens, and I have told this little thing before, every single time, and by the way, now some of you are confused. You're like, wait a minute. Are you a cop or are you a preacher? Both. I have two doctorates in theology, so I like to say that not because it's anything, but I've got a whole lot of schooling. I've been in, I've been a preacher for almost 40 years. I was in, I actually was in law enforcement. I went into it to pay uh, for a church, that church plant that we did. So it was basically my tent making job if you look at the Apostle Paul's concept. So that's how we paid for things. So yeah, I got, I got, a, I, I done gone to school, all right? And I've, and I've been preaching. I actually, we had a ministry uh, before I started uh, the church or came to this church. Uh, we travel all over the country with Prophecy Focus Ministries preaching on uh, the prophetic word. But what's my point? My point is this. When I was in law enforcement and I retired in 2019, here's what I had every single morning. The deputies would be lined up. They'd have their uniforms on. They were checked every single day to make sure their armor, if you will, was on. Did they have their gun on? Did they have their OC on? Did they have their duty belt on? Did they have on a uniform? Did they have their name tag on? Did they have their badge on? All the things are part of the uniform. We checked every single day to make sure when they went into the battle that they had the best possible weapons. They were prepared. They were ready. They were squared away. If they weren't squared away, go back home, go back to your locker room, get the proper equipment. You're not going out till you're ready. Folks, that's the same things God is saying here. Just like in a military or a police or whatever else you might be in that's a uniformed personnel, he wants us to have our armor on. Be prepared. Know what you're doing. Be prepared every single day so that when you go out into that battle, <laughs> we go to win, not to lose. Romans chapter 13. Here's, a, here's an interesting one. And boy, uh, uh, I probably don't want to get too deep into this one today because uh, there'll be too many questions. But here's an interesting thing. Romans 13 one says this. Let every soul Every person be subject. Same word that he's talking about uh, back in uh, James. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that are exist are appointed by God. Now, folks, if you want to talk about a verse that could get us going today, this is the one. If you know what's going on in California right now, my wife sent me a clip this morning. The governor of, uh, or the, the mayor, mayor, right, of Los Angeles put out this statement this morning or last night sometime. Any large crowd that gathers, he is going to tell the Department of Public Works to shut off their electricity and their water. Guess whose church happens to be in that area? Would be John MacArthur's by chance, would it? It would. 
Now folks, I'm not gonna get into the political issues, but folks, I am going to say this this morning. There's a battle that's, it's, 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 it's kicking in. And uh, I know there's gonna be differing opinions on that, which is why the last thing I wanna do on a communion Sunday is cause a disunity, so we're not gonna go there, but it's something to think about. We seriously have to start thinking about these things. God said, uh, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the next key point. Repent of sinful practices, the second concept. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And you're like, well, how do I do that? How do I draw near to God? Well, Philippians 3 kind of adds, it's the same word as the drawing near concept. And Philippians 3 from the Apostle Paul says that I may know him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. And, his, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be conformed to his death. That I may know him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see what he's saying, folks? The last song we sang, The Power of the Cross. I heard that song some years ago at another church. I didn't know we were going to sing it today. I'm glad we did. It's the power of the cross. Folks, I, I didn't do it today, but almost every single time when I, that song would play at the church I, I went to, <clears throat> I mean, it brought tears in my eyes. It's just the power of the cross, what Jesus went through, what he did, his love for us, his caring for us, how much he loves us. Even though we were against him, he loved us. He gave himself. And he says, listen, would you draw near to me? Would you draw near to me? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, if you're a Christian, even some Christians are like, how, how do I get in touch with God? How do I, I, I really have this wonderful relationship to him? And it's this, this simple. Submission. Literally submit. Do you know how you make friends? You catch more bees with what? Honey than you do with vinegar. How do you make friends? You be nice to people. That's <laughs> pretty simple, right? Like, ah, man, I really have a hard time making friends. Well, folks, there's certain people that have these A personalities. They can go up to anybody anytime, and it's like, hey, how you doing? Never met you before, and I mean, it's just so simple for them. Others, it's a little bit tougher. Others, it's almost impossible. It's like you're so introverted, and it's hard, and you really kind of wait for people to come to you, and I get that. And God says, listen, if you want a good friend, you show yourself friendly. And God's saying, listen, I want to be your friend. God's already reached out. He's reached out. He's given you his hand. He's given you his life. He goes to the cross. He dies. He rises again. And he says, I love you so much that I took you in even when you were a sinner. And you say, that's beautiful. And it is. that I may know him. How do you know Jesus Christ? How do you build that beautiful relationship with him? Folks, can you build a relationship with somebody you never see? That's really hard. Can you build a relationship with someone you never write to, you never text, you never call, you never email, if you will? Can you build a relationship without any communication? So, Let's go back to the military for a second. 
So here's a new young couple. Just got married. Life is wonderful. They love each other tremendously, but they're in the military and it's a call-up. And one of the two of them gets deployed across the seas and the communication is almost virtually cut off because it's a top secret mission. How is their love going to grow during that time? One of two ways. Either they're going to spend time thinking about each other, getting ready, looking forward to when that person's going to come, or you know what else is going to happen? Just to be honest, the relationship's going to die. Well, they're gone. Might as well go somewhere else. I don't know if they're ever going to come back. Might as well look somewhere else. How's that relationship going to do? Right? And God says, listen, that's kind of a nasty illustration, if you will, but it really shows if we get that concept, and that one hits home, right? It's, it's deep. It's hurtful. When God is saying, listen, if you want to be close to me, you've got to spend time with me. How do I do that? Folks, I'm telling you, if you're saved, if you truly know Christ as your personal Savior, and you get in this blessed book, and you start to read through it, and you start to see what God's doing, and what He has done, what He's asking of us, and you'll really spend some quality time in the Word, turn the TV off, turn all the distractions off, stay in your room, put your face in this book, and just start reading it, and let God start to speak to you. Amen. It works. When I first got saved as a teenager, I wasn't the nicest guy in the world. I'm still not, but anyway. <laughs> and I went home as a teenager, junior in high school, and somebody gave me a, a Bible. You know, I'd, had a, I'd always had a Bible, but all of a sudden it's like, I got home as a teenager, I went in my room. Normally what I would have done before I, I received Christ I'd stick my headphones on, crank up acid rock. Now, I never did drugs, but I listened to it. That's why I can't hear you today. <laughs> that was my life. Go home, eat, play, turn on, the, turn on the, the heavy duty acid rock, listen to that, ungodly. And all of a sudden something happened when Jesus Christ came into my life and changed me. And I would go home, and I'd get home about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. I'd go and I'd have dinner with my family, mom and dad and my sisters. And then I'd go in my room, I'd go on my bed, and I'd read to 2 and 3 in the morning the Word of God every single day. And i fellowship with God. And then I'd talk with him. I'd tell him what's on my mind. I'd try and listen to what he was telling me through the Word of God. Folks, it's life trans transformational to know him to submit to him psalm 145 18 says the lord is near to all who call upon him to all a call upon him in truth folks do you really really want a friendship with the lord do you really really want a strong relationship with him just like when you go home and see your family, you spend time with them, you talk with them, you communicate with them, and God's saying, hello, I'm still waiting. <laughs> and the closer we spend with those we love, what happens to those relationships? You say, well, you know, if it's Christmas or uh, uh, Thanksgiving, sometimes uh, my family comes over and it doesn't end so good. <laughs> That's not the kind I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about 
When you truly love somebody and you truly want to spend time with them, think about your spouse, think about your mom, think about your dad, think about somebody you love right now, and just as much time as you want to spend with them, that's how much God wants to spend with you. Well, what else does he say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, if we go back, and i got to hasten here, if we went back to the first chapter in the book of James, Here's the first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, Jewish tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. All right? So the context of, of James is he's really ministering to, speaking to the Jewish Christians that have been dispersed. But of course, it's just as applicable to me and you today. And James is using a couple of Hebrew concepts right now to bring home uh, specifically to his Jewish audience what's taking place. So the next part of the verse, he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. All right, now if you look on the screen, you'll see a, uh, that's basically a, a washing cup that my Jewish friends and your Jewish friends would use. When I go to Israel, and especially when I go towards the Temple Mount, there are wash basins all over the place with little cups like that. They're in all their washrooms. They're in their, they're in their um, motel rooms. They're in every washroom, uh, mostly, unless it's uh, uh, an Arab run business. But all Jewish run businesses, this is a key thing. Now again, the Jewish people we're talking about are not Christians. They're, uh, they're Jews. They still believe in uh, God the Father, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. So they're still following the Old Testament ways. And one of the things from the Old Testament that the Jewish people are very keen on is washings. They clean themselves constantly. You don't eat without... I've got a really, really good Orthodox friend. My wife and I have eaten in, eaten in his house several times. And every time, I mean, in their home, there's one of these cups. And before we eat, first of all, you can't talk. I break the rule every time because I forget. You do not talk. As soon as they call the dinner time, shh, do not talk. Go to, go to, the, go to the sink area, get that little pitcher there, start washing your hands. It's a ceremonial washing in the Jewish home. You do not talk until the father sits down, he takes a knife and he cuts the bread, hands the bread to every single person at the table. You eat the bread, now you can talk. <laughs> Why? It's ritual. And the Jewish people knew these rituals. So God is saying through James to the Jewish people specifically, but to us too, and it certainly has meaning to us, he's like, listen folks, Listen, cleanse your hands, you, and now he comes up with a really negative word, sinners. James is truly addressing at this point those who have never come to Christ. They're still in their sin. God doesn't call Christians sinners. He never uses that terminology, but he is using it here on purpose. He's saying if you want a right relationship with God, sinners, 
You need to come to him. You need to cleanse your hands, so to speak, in a ritual manner. You need to purify your hearts, you double-minded. Going back to Isaiah, uh, again, the Old Testament scriptures, it says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now here's the key from uh, the Old Testament. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. All right. Again, Jewish concept written in, written by the the uh, Jewish prophets, Isaiah. Cleanse yourselves. James four nine says, "Lament and mourn and weep." Same thing. If you've been in our study on Joel on Sunday nights, remember the Jewish people what God told them to do when they were going through the horrific locust plague in eight hundred B.C. He said, listen, I want you to lament. I want you to weep. I want you to put on sackcloth and ashes. I want you to repent and get right with me. And now we come to the New Testament, and basically he's saying, with good cause, because it's mainly a Jewish audience, he's going right back to the Old Testament rituals that the Jewish people understood, and he's like, put on your sackcloth, go into the ash pit, pour the ashes over your head, and repent and get right with God. That's exactly what he's saying. So what he's saying to us, folks, if you're here this morning, two things. One, if you're here this morning and you do not know 100% for sure if you were to die today, God is sending this specific message to you. He's basically saying if you are a sinner, which we all, we're all sinners, by the way. But there's two different categories of sinners. There are sinners that are still stuck in their sin, and there are sinners that have been 100% forgiven. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, folks, in just a few moments, we're going to have communion. When we come to the communion table in just a moment, we're going to talk about two different things that Jesus talked about. Number one, he talked about taking, if you will, the cup which symbolizes his shed blood. Where did he shed his blood? We look to the back here on the cross. The blood Jesus shed, God's son shed, was to pay for our sin. He paid for it 100%. The bread that we take is to remind the torture that Jesus went through. He was beaten, he was horribly treated, and finally he's placed on the cross and literally he gives his life. That's what we'll remember in a few minutes, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, specifically what he went through, the torture that he went through. And just like the Jewish people did in the old time, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, you don't know for sure if you died, you go to heaven, God is saying this. Would you please, sinner, would you please Repent of that sin, change your ways, turn to Christ, accept him for what he did for you on that cross. Lament and weep and mourn. That's what he's saying. Why? What it, you're like, man, that's, I don't know that I want to go through all that. You know why he did that? You know why he's saying that? Because he loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. Now that's pretty good. That's a good deal. Lament. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Whoops, I hit something there. All right, so let's move on. 
And the tax collector standing afar off. Here we have a tax collector. Back in uh, New Testament times, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Tax collectors were considered the worst of sinners back in Jesus' day. They were hated. They were despised. And this tax collector all of a sudden comes in contact with Jesus. His heart has changed. He realizes that Jesus loved him. He realized that Jesus cared for him and he falls on his face he beats his breast and he said oh lord please be merciful to me i'm a horrible sinner and of course god loves sinners god loves sinners every single one of us isn't that good god loves sinners finally james 4:10 humble yourselves in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up. <sighs> Who's in control? Who's in control? <sighs> if you're an A-type personality, you always want to be in control, right? <clears throat> My way. And God says, who's in control today? Would you humble yourselves, please? Would you, would, you, would you get off my throne, please? Would you humble yourselves before me? Would you uh, uh, get on your knees, so to speak? Here's the key, and we'll end with this. Philippians chapter 2, beautiful, beautiful passage. Speaking of the humility of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. The humility of Jesus Christ. Do you understand who Jesus is? We're talking about God. We're talking about the general we're talking about the chief of police. We're talking about the sheriff in vernacular to speak. He's the top dog, if you will, in our, that's bad, bad sounding, but he's the top person. And God is the almighty God, the everlasting father. Everything is, he runs everything. He owns everything. He needs to submit to no one. He's it. And yet, what does the Bible say about him? Let this mind be in you, which was also in God, in the person of Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Of course he didn't, because he was God. But here's what he does. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. He puts on a human body. He comes down from heaven. He lives some 33 years on this earth. And verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the most horrible death of the first century, the death of the cross, meant for the most horrific criminals. Folks, we're going to take communion in just a moment. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did God himself come down and go to that cross? Why did he humble himself? It's very simple. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. That's why he did it. Because he loves you. He cares about you. He wants a personal relationship with you. Now many of you in this room, the majority, who I know at least, 
You've already given your heart to Jesus. My encouragement to you that know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior is are you submitting to him on a daily basis? Are you allowing the Lord Jesus to control everything you do? Are you allowing him to control your attitude, your temper, your temptations, every single thing about it? Are we living like Jesus would want us to live? That's what he's asking. Have you submitted to God? If you're here this morning finally and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity in the next couple minutes before we take communion. And I'm going to ask the men they can start uh, assembling if we need to. If you died right now, where are you going? Point blank. You say, Brother Rich, when I walked in here, I, I got to be honest, I don't know. Here's the gospel. It only takes about one to two minutes to tell you. We've gone through a great deal of it already. Here's the gospel. Four simple things that the Lord asks every single person to do. Number one, he says, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can't avoid it. When Adam sinned, so the sin nature was passed every single man through the man, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. That's why Jesus was virgin born. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sinned into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every single one of us that has a father, and I think that's everybody in the room, the sin gene, if you will, the sin nature was passed through dead. Can't get away from it. Second thing God says, if you got what you deserve because you're a sinner, every single one of us, and folks, this is so politically incorrect today, but it's true. If every single one of us, including myself, got what we deserved, we would spend eternity in an awful place called hell, the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 8 talks about the second death. There's a physical death when we die physically, and then there's the spiritual death. If you've never trusted Christ, you are still in your sins. You are going to experience spiritual death. That's not good news. Here is the good news. That Jesus Christ, God's Son, comes down, goes to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish or go to the lake of fire, but have everlasting life. Jesus, God's Son, paid the debt. Which is what we're going to remember in just a moment. You say, okay, I knew all that before I came in. How do I know for sure if I died, I go to heaven? Now, please listen to me. Last thing. Point number four of four. We say it almost every week here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's think about it. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. You see, most of us are taught from the day we're born uh, up until the day uh, many folks die that we work hard, we do the best, we try the best, we work and work and work, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully God will let us into heaven when we die. And God says, that is not my gospel. For by grace are you saved. It's through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. The free gift is sitting out here this morning. You reach out, you take it, you embrace it, you pull it in, and thank God that he died for you and you give your life to him. Father, thank you for your love for us. And Father, thank you for the precious word of God. There's so much in it. You've told us all we need to know in this blessed book. And Lord, right now as we prepare for communion, I ask first of all for every Christian in this room, those who have trusted Christ, that right now if there's anything 
that's blocking their relationship with you, that this very moment they'd take a moment, they'd pray and make it right with you and get right with you. If you're here this morning and you know there's some things you've been doing, Christian, and you know it's not the right thing, let's get it right right now. Would you give it to God? Would you confess it to Him privately, quietly, in a simple prayer to the Lord and get right with the Lord this very moment? Just give it to Him right now. If you're here this morning and you say, Brother Rich, you're right, when I walked in this door, I didn't know if, when I, if I died that I'd go to heaven, but I just heard the gospel. I understand it. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand I don't deserve to go to heaven. I understand Jesus is truly God's Son, that He came down from heaven, died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again. And I truly believe that. And yes, Brother Rich, I, I, I truly want to receive that free gift and accept his free gift this very moment. If that's you, would you simply pray this with me? The prayer is not what will save you. It's your faith that will save you. But let's, let's seal it with the Lord. Are you ready to trust Christ this morning? If that's you, silently in your heart, will you pray with me? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, went, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days rose again. And I'm so sorry for my sin, and I'm trusting Jesus. I'm thanking you for Jesus and the gift he gave, and I'm receiving the free gift of salvation through him this very moment. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' precious name, amen.